Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. With me is Chase Wilsey, vice president at Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, and before we get into the finance and the economy and so forth, uh, Chase is the linebacker coach at uh, Poway High. So I got to find out. I didn't talk to him yet about this. We talked about other things. But you guys win last night or how'd it, how'd it go? Yeah, we won. It was, um, it was an ugly win, but... <laughs> we played the other Titans down in Eastlake, and uh, let's see, I think it was 14 to 6 was the varsity score. JV score was 36 to 6. So um, we didn't play up to the best of our ability, but we won, which won. is uh, what matters at the end of the day. So it, it was still fun, but, you know, there's a lot of mental mistakes, penalties, and fumbles, and turnovers, which. Just as a coach, you don't like to see. Yeah, and that's when I was wondering, what's an ugly win? It's when they make a lot of mistakes and fumbles and so forth, but you still win. And it reminds me of the Chargers several years ago where they had a great roster and they would always play down to the opponent. And I mean, because Eastlake had a lot of injuries and they weren't having a lot of their starters there. So, I mean, they weren't at full force when we were right. and we just played down, but hey, you want to move on. You, yeah. got, you got two wins now under the, under the yep. belt there. No linebackers, it okay. They did, yeah, they did, they did well. Good, good. All right, well, well let's talk about uh, streaming services. Uh, we knew the day was coming when streaming would have bigger viewership than cable TV. It officially happened this past July. Streaming services accounted for 34.8% of total U.S. TV viewing compared with cable at 34.4%. Now, the 34.8% streaming services viewing climbed dramatically from 23% one year earlier. Now we, we may see similar numbers in August, but in September, we may see a switch back to cable as major networks launch new seasons, a new show. Streaming businesses are still losing hundreds of millions of dollars as witnessed in the latest quarter. And part of this is because of the cost to create new content. It is so easy to switch from one streaming company after a specific show or series is over to another streaming company. Remember how difficult it was when he had to switch cable companies. <laughs> you had to have a cable guy come out for an appointment that was set a week ago and then wait half a day at home for them to show up to switch your service. And yeah, you just got that giant block of time, you know, and it's like, <laughs> gosh, I hope they come early. Nope. It always seems to be at the later part of that block of time. Uh, but now you can just switch your streaming service, just sitting on your couch in the comfort of your living room. I think the winner long-term in the streaming services will be those that have the most titles in their libraries, along with the best studios to produce new content in. And and this is something that, you know, I think Netflix has tried, but it's very expensive to get caught up to, you know, the bigger studios because they already have content. And I, and I have Netflix and I've watched some of the shows, some of them, I just can't keep watching them because I think they're filmed in Korea or Japan or something. It just irritates me because their their lips don't match. What's they're dubbed going. over. Yeah. They're dubbed over. And it just irritates me because I'm watching that. I, I, I don't know what's going on because like it, it's it's distracting is what it actually is. So Yeah, and I, I, I don't necessarily think it's the most content either. I guess I want to say the most quality content shows because yeah. that's one thing that does 
irritate me a little bit with Netflix. And I don't go to Netflix as much as I used to with all the new streaming services yep. because there's so much there. But in my opinion, there's so much crap where you're like digging through and it's like, that was terrible. And it makes me want to go to that service even less. Yeah. So then I, I know, like I go to HBO quite a bit and there's some really good shows there and they seem to have less, but more quality. And Which one is that? HBO. HBO. Yeah. And that is something I know that even their, their new CEO, David Zaslav, is, is really focused on. Is He's been canceling shows, he's been canceling yeah. movies, and I think he's really concerned about producing well-branded content that makes people want to come back because you don't want a consumer to go watch a show and it's like that sucks and then right. it makes you as i said with netflix I, I actually can't remember the last time i went to netflix really yeah <clears throat> yeah my my hbo uh is, is down and my uh paramount is down something happened i gotta go back on i will say and again i shouldn't complain because i don't have the cable guy come out but still i gotta sit there and you gotta do it you know, with the the screen where you takes you switch. twenty minutes. Twenty minutes, yeah. And just like, ah, <laughs> I just I I'll, I'll watch cable TV. <laughs> well, no, it, it's so funny because it, <clears throat> it's so much of a generational difference. Obviously, right. where we just moved into the new office, and you're like, I don't know, should we get cable? I'm like, why would we get cable? Like, <laughs> it's like we could just get a Roku and plug it in and. If we don't want it, we can cancel it rather than having the cable guy come out, sign a year-long contract. And it, to me, nowadays with the YouTube TV, the Sling TV, the yeah. uh, gosh, there's like Hulu has a, their own TV plan. Uh, I think there's a couple more that, that I may be missing, but it has all the cable channels bundled into the, the streaming service. It's like, why would you get cable? Yeah, and, and, and I, I kind of get that now. Like, okay, so we didn't have the cable guy come out. We, we, we got... Two Roku TVs. I don't know if they're working or not. But they're working. They're working okay. Um, but uh, the thing is that w with Netflix, I just, I know they came, I think they hit 600 at one point, I, I believe, or close to it. Yeah, um, And they I mean, rebounded from, I think, it. 170 back to 229. I, I still don't think that they're worth that, that level there because competition is so heavy. And, and you're right, the content is just not that great on Netflix. They have some good things. Actually, I did see a movie I want to watch, uh, I think, tonight from there. But it, it's not as good as I think as the Paramounts, the Disneys, and maybe the um, HBO ones. So 799 Wow. That's what Netflix hit. Wow. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah. So, And there's someone that paid seven ninety nine for it saying, it's going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the student loans. This has been very controversial, so we'll, we'll still talk about it. But uh, the news from President Biden around student loan debt is, well, in our opinion, quite frankly, idiotic and dangerous in our opinion. To begin with, we are delaying payments on student loan debt again to the end of December 31st because people have not had enough time to prepare. What about the last two plus years of us not making payments? Uh, also, the $10,000 worth of forgiveness is estimated to cost another $300 billion and in an inflationary environment, the type of loose spending we have seen does nothing to help reduce the inflation burn for the average consumer. And in fact, we believe likely fuels higher inflation. Yeah, and it is also just unfair to the people that have diligently paid off their debt, opted to join the military to receive the GI Bill, or just avoided college due to the high cost. The biggest problem here is this does absolutely nothing to solve the root cause of the problem, and in fact may just fuel the cost of college higher. Students borrowing money today will continue to rack up debt and will likely want another handout in just a few years. I don't see how this does our economy and, quite frankly, our country any good either. And, and the thing that they're saying is 
after this debt's forgiven, I, I believe their estimate is within the next five years, it's going to be right back to where we were in terms of the amount of student loan debt that's out there in the country. So again, what happens then? And, and I was wondering, now is that going to be new students or is that going to be students that, well, I can go back again, change my degree. Maybe both. Maybe, but could be, could be both. And the thing is, you're, you're, you're right. You're setting up a precedent that, well, they forgave that one back in 2022. It's now 2027. Well, well what about me now? They should do it again. So uh, I, I have heard, and I'm, I'm hoping it goes this direction, that it goes to the courts because perhaps this is not a legal thing to do because the president doesn't have the right to forgive contracts. I know they've used COVID and some other things to try to do that, but I would like to see it go through the court system and see if it's really legal or not, because it seems wrong that the president can just sign his name and, oh, there goes $300 billion more. Well, they're saying it, it, it would be the most expensive executive action. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, it, there's estimates that it's gonna be $500 billion. Yeah, because actually we said it's $10,000, but I think if you had a Pell Grant, uh, it could be as much as $20,000. And I don't know how much you know about a Pell Grant, but... Uh, Pell Grant was just money given to you. Yeah, it's yeah. free money. So yeah. it's people that already got free money are getting even more free, more free money. money. Right. It, it's it, it's just, it's really, again, dangerous. And we, we've taken a lot of flack on this on, on Facebook and yeah. people, you know, kind of saying, oh, we don't get it. It's going to be really great to stimulate the economy. Our economy doesn't need stimulation <laughs> right now. Our, our economy needs supply. Right. That's what we need. We need the supply... To combat inflation, more stimulation is exactly what is going to lead to more inflation. And, and I mean, it, it's, it is frustrating, as I said. I, I mean, I know um, one of our coworkers, her son had, I think it was around $30,000 of student loan debt, and he paid that all off within a year. Yeah. Well, he should have waited. <laughs> should have waited. And, and, and my fiance and I both have student loan debt. Well, we refinanced. Right. Because that was a smart decision a smart financial decision to make well that's going to end up costing us probably about twenty thousand dollars had we stayed on the government debt yep and it's it is just frustrating when you make the right moves and you do the right things and i saw a couple as well i believe they paid off over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt in two years <laughs> sucks for them they should have yeah, waited should have waited know? yeah and and, and it's just a shame because, again, it, I, I think it also does not teach financial responsibility uh, and, and people want actions for free and so forth. Investing is not that way. And, and we've seen that with meme stocks. We've seen that with, you know, many different things. And we're teaching a another wrong lesson to young people like, well, you know what? We're just going to pay it off for you. So no discipline there. Same thing in investing. Well, I lost money with investing. Well, the government's going to pay me back. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just... I, I, I get a little bit disappointed on the direction things are going. We're not teaching young people the right lessons. And, and again, my big concern here is, number one, the inflation, and number two, I, I really think it's going to raise the cost of college. And so all that's going to happen is that estimate for five years to get back to where we're at in student loan debt. It, it could be faster if colleges raise their costs. It, it's kind of like uh, I saw this thing the other day with the whole EV tax credit. Right. It's like, I think, $7,500. And the Ford Mustang Mach-E is now raising the price to $8,700. Yeah, I know. And, and it's not just because they're getting the tax credit, but it's because the, the cost of lithium and the battery right. component, it has gone up. So to make that profitable for they have to raise the price. But it is just kind of funny. It's like, okay, we're going to get a 7500 Okay, well, all right, well, we'll just raise our price now, and people can still afford it because they get the tax credit. Yeah. And yeah. that's my concern here with colleges. Colleges are going to say, Oh, well, they got their student loan debt forgiven, so 
let's increase the cost of college. Well, and the thing, I think college has done that for years. I've written posts on that years ago that the reason why college education is so high because they know they can raise it because the government will step in and, and, and they'll fill that void for people. They'll give them loans, grants, or something else. The, the, uh, the demand side is so high because the money is always going to be there. Yeah. No one's really paying for it. So therefore, the government's paying for it. University and colleges know that, like, yeah, we can increase tuition 10% because we know it's not going to, normally it's a business, something like a business, you increase your prices 10%, you're gonna generally lose some customers. But that's not gonna happen in college because you raise your tuition 10%, oh, that's okay, the government will kick in the money and we can raise another 10% next year. I mean, it's just, it's it's on this cycle that needs to be broken. And, And we've often said, I've often said, you don't need to go to college. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked, I talked to one guy actually, well, he, he's actually on our Facebook who we know, and he said, I didn't go to college, uh, I'm doing fine, but what really irritates me, I didn't go to college, but yet I gotta pay for somebody else's who went to college and is not doing fine, well, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked to a lot of successful business owners and, you know, they didn't go to college, and, yeah. you know, there, there's great trades out there. Uh, we always talk about the JC route or the community college route. Yeah. I mean, if you're worried about the, the cost of it and taking on debt, that is a great alternative. I mean, there, there's just so many different things you can do now. And and I, I say I studied business and finance. I don't think I needed to study business, to be quite frank with you. Right. I needed to study finance because that is something that is a little bit more book heavy. Right. But the business, is, you know, I talked to a gentleman that actually runs a business. He's like, you don't learn about business in business school. You learn about business when you actually run the business because that's when the, the real lessons come in. Well, and, and I will say, I went to National University, I guess now, gosh, probably, what, 35 years ago. But it was different than, I, and I've not been in a National University class a long time, but actually they had professors that taught at night that actually ran businesses. So what I really learned a lot from them was what they were doing in their businesses. They bring in real life stories. Unfortunately, you go to you know normal college you get a professor who's not really running a business, so he doesn't bring in real life stories off case studies from the books. But I, I, I always say my success has come from National University from those professors who would bring in the day of, yeah, the accounting from this, what we went through, or the tax side, or the marketing side. It was just a great, the best education I could have got at National University. I don't know if they do it the same way. I think they still do. Well, but. Unfortunately, it's just not, college is an investment, but people don't view it that way, right. where you know if you're gonna be an engineer, yeah, you probably need to go to college. That's some pretty doctor. complex stuff. Doctor. The doctor, yes. It's things like that, but you're going to have a return there right? because the, the, the salaries are, are much higher. But if you're going to, to study something and there's no return, well, what's going to happen is if you stop going into those those fields and those, those education pieces, well, the demand's going to drop. And colleges are either going to have to cut classes or they're going to have to lower the tuition there or, or do something because there's just no demand. Right. You can't just keep creating this falsehood of, of demand. That's what causes the price to go up because colleges know they can charge for it. And you know, we always talk about trade schools and so forth. They always think of plumbers, electricians, but there's other ones as well. Uh, my daughter's a paralegal. That mm-hmm. did not take four, four years to get that you know paralegal uh, certificate or whatever they get. Court reporters. I mean, there's so many other things you can do that will make money as opposed to spending four years in college and get out like, okay, what do I do now? X-ray technicians. I mean, I, I don't know what they make, but I mean, there's a lot of jobs you can learn that are not just a plumber or carpenter uh, that are, we'll call white collar jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So well, let's move on to the Federal Reserve. I uh, have been thinking both the stock uh, and bond markets were, were taking the Federal Reserve and its interest rates policy too lightly. Uh, Powell has made, has now made his intentions clear 
making some strong comments like while higher interest rates, slower growth and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation. They'll also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation, but a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. Unfortunately, I don't believe the battle with inflation is over, and I believe interest rates will continue to rise. Yeah, and the uh, Fed's uh, preferred measure for inflation, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, PCE, showed inflation easing somewhat as the month of July. The index climbed 6.3% year-over-year versus the 6.8% gain in the month of June. And while inflation is easing, it is still well above the 2% level the Fed targets. This is why I believe they will continue to move forward again with that quantitative tightening and the interest rate hikes. We're still optimistic that we will see inflation ease as we exit the year, but there is still a way to go before inflation is no longer a concern. And and, and this is something that, that again, we, we kind of talked about here is the, the, the NASDAQ and the S&P and even the Dow, they all got crushed yesterday. yesterday. And it was kind of funny because people anticipated Powell was going to be hawkish. And then he was hawkish. And oh my gosh, he was hawkish. <laughs> he was hawkish. <laughs> <laughs> and, but if you looked at the market, and it's particularly the growth stocks, the last month, month and a half, two months, the growth stocks have done tremendously well. And it's like, why are they doing well? And the 10-year the, the note has not done that well no. in terms of, well, actually, the 10-year note has done well if you hold it because the, the, the yield has fallen somewhat. Right. So the price of the, the bond went up, but not the yield. And it, we were sitting there saying, why is this happening? Right. It, it just wasn't making much sense. And, and sure enough, I, I just really think that the, the people, investors, and the markets were, were discounting, I, I think, how how hawkish the, the Fed was going to be. And they, they've they really been upfront about what their plan is. And, and we, we've talked uh, here on the show in our post and our newsletter, which, uh, by the way, if uh, you like what these topics we're talking about, want to hear more about them, or other topics we have as well that may be of interest to you, uh, you can go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Right in the middle, you'll see the uh, the uh, newsletter button. Just click on that. And we talked uh, in the newsletter things about uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, what's going on with that, uh, cell phones, subscriptions, what's going on with that. Uh, other topics, electric vehicles, Tesla. So if you want the free newsletter, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Just click on that and you'll begin receiving the free newsletter. But uh, what I was going to say too is that we have talked about that uh, with inflation, we do see it coming down to 5 or 6% uh, by the end of the year, which is better than we're at now. But it doesn't mean it's going to stop with the Fed because their target is, I think, like 2 to 3%. So I think it's 2 Two, two, not, not, I'm being nice, I guess, yeah. three, but two, two. So, um, so and, and you know, actually, in reality, that's pretty low, 2%. So yeah. maybe they will forgive on that a little bit. But um, what we're seeing is that the supply side is improving somewhat. Now, the mm -hmm. demand side has come down somewhat, but if these two things can happen, that's why we feel by the end of the year, we could see inflation at 5 to 6% better than now, but it doesn't mean, okay, game's over, let's go on. No, there's still be more to deal with next year. Yeah, and, and there's two kind of things that I look at here. Number one is the problem with fiscal and monetary policy is our fiscal policy right now is being very accommodative, right. which is, again, flooding the, the, the markets, the economy with money. Well, the Fed can continue to raise interest rates, but if the fiscal side of the equation is continue to push money out into the economy, the Fed's going to continue to have to raise this interest rates even further to combat the, the new inflation that's being yep. created by the money coming out. 
The other thing too that, that I find quite, quite interesting is a lot of times the people, I think, think the Fed's job is just the, the labor market and you know making sure the economy is running well. The, the price stability is a, a factor that, that Powell's focused a lot on lately that is so important because you, you talk about if you have runaway inflation, you really lose kind of trust in the U.S. dollar, yep. which, which is a very dangerous place to be in. And, and in his speech yesterday, Powell referenced the 70s and 80s, and he said we don't want to have another Volcker-type incident where in the 70s it's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we'll just kind of let inflation go and we won't be too aggressive and— then all of a sudden, Volcker had to step in and force a recession. And I, gosh, I think he raised the the Fed's funds rate to wasn't it like fifteen, eighteen. It was, it was, it was a it was crazy high, yeah. high amount yeah. to 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 tamp down that economy and pull demand out of the market because otherwise they wouldn't have controlled inflation. Right, and and, and we want that strong dollar within the reason because also a strong dollar does hurt our exports because then they're not as attractive to other people. But there's so many things that rely on the dollar. Oil is, is still measured in dollars and so forth. So you've got to have that stability of the, of the country. Um, and, and that comes that you've got to cut inflation now to keep things from getting out of hand uh, down the road. And I think we can do it. I mean, and, and again, we did a post uh, yesterday, too, I believe, or it's going to be next week. I forget when it's going to show up uh, uh, about um, the, the employment still looking strong still looking good. I mean, uh, and it's not just these, these, uh, oh, it's a low paying jobs. It is not. I mean, healthcare was up, financial and professional is up. So a lot of good things still there <clears throat> on the job market, which I think will prevent a major recession. And I think it'll be a, a, hopefully a mild recession that you really don't realize you're in a recession, except that you see it talked about on TV. So. Yeah, well, I think we are in a recession technically, but. Well, well technically we <laughs> <you> are. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, a, a, a recession is, uh, when you when your neighbor loses their job, that's a recession. When you lose your job, it's a depression. I don't know of anybody that has lost their job. Do you? Long pause, but uh, yeah, yeah, not yeah. not anybody that I talk to on a regular right. basis that that's in right. family, friends. No. Yeah, and see that helps because when I have a job, you may be cautious on what you spend but you still spend it. And especially if you believe that job is secure, like you don't feel like you're gonna lose your job. Now, if you feel like, oh my gosh, there's mass layoffs going off. And, and I think Ford, oh gosh, Ford laid off 3,000 people. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. Their employment numbers, I think are 181,000 people. So it's yeah. 1% of the workforce. And, and it's just, we're not that position. We watch very closely. That's why, again, I recommend the newsletter, the post and so forth because we watch everything we can on the job market because that's important. All right, uh, phone numbers. Yeah, I need to get the phone numbers here. We're talking. I forgot to give them out. Uh, you want to get through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Give us a call here at 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And since we've got no calls, let's talk about Bed Bath & Beyond because I hate to say it, but I really don't feel bad for these meme investors that are getting hammered uh, the past few days. Traders in Bed Bath & Beyond saw shares fall more than 40% uh, last Friday, and they were down 60% if you bought last Wednesday morning. All over the board on this, and I think I'd, I didn't check it on Friday, this past Friday, but I think it was like around $10, $11 a share, down from, what, 34 Yeah, I mean, it, it's just dangerous, and, and we talked about this on the show a little bit last week, but it, it's just something that we look at with Ryan Cohen kind of had led this meme hype, and, and the reason that the stock crashed because he fully exited his position, uh, and he definitely capitalized off that small investor, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and that's something that you have to be aware of. And that is a what I call a 
true gambling chip. You know, you, you and also too, it, it's the uh, oh gosh, there's a theory for it. Greater fool theory. Greater fool theory. Yeah, you, you're buying it, hoping that somebody will buy it at a higher price than you, and that's all that's going on. And when this billionaire pulled out, it's like, well, wait a minute, he's not supposed to. That's not playing the game right. He's got to mm-hmm. keep buying more. <laughs> he said, I think he made sixty million or something off it. Yeah. Um, it, it's just everybody wants the the easy way to invest, and there's not. I'm sorry, we've talked many times we, we, in our presentation with new clients coming in. We spend 10, 15, 20 hours of research before we say, yes, this is a business we wanna buy. And it might take us a week, two weeks, month, two months before we say, yes, we wanna buy this business. So it's not a quick thing and be so easy like, oh yeah, let's buy Bed Bath Beyond, it's gonna go up you know, 10% tomorrow. Oh, and that's a hard thing too is we try and reduce the risk as much as we can. <clears throat> right. And we always tell people still, we're, we're wrong sometimes. Yeah. And that's one thing that, that you need to realize as an investor is you're still gonna have companies that you do all the research and they are gonna go down, but not 60% in a few days. <laughs> right. I, I mean, that that's what happens when you gamble. And you know that's why it is so important when you talk about building a good portfolio, a diversified portfolio of different businesses, is you have to understand there's going to be times that are going to be difficult for the companies that you own. And people don't like to hear that. And they say, oh, well, you were wrong on that one company. Yes, but we were right on the other 15 companies. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. And, right. and it's, it's a hard thing for a lot of investors to grasp is they, they don't want to have that loss. And it's kind of funny sometimes people say, I'm just going to do ETFs or mutual funds. Well, if you actually break apart the mutual funds and ETFs, there's a lot of losers. Oh, in yeah, there are. <laughs> so it, it, it's just it's something that that we try and educate people on, and and you know we we do this, and we're still consistently learning different things as, as you know time evolves. But that's one thing that you, you can't predict the future. Unfortunately, there, there's going to be a situation like COVID where how are we going to know that was going to happen, and and retailers were going to just get absolutely crushed and Retail was struggling before COVID, but the COVID situation accelerated those losses dramatically and, and, and forced a lot of retail companies out of business. So right. it's investing stuff is what we always tell people. Yeah, and I tell people, I've been saying this for 30 years, uh, I'm probably wrong a third of the time, but being wrong a third of the time, and again, I'm talking longer term, short term. Uh, short term, yeah, you're gonna be wrong a third of the time. But if you're patient, you bought good companies. You've got a company in our portfolio right now that we're not very happy with, yeah. but we're gonna wait another two years, three years, because of what the, the management's doing and what's taking to get around that. You can make your returns much better, but you can't pay and say, oh, I bought this company and I bought it you know, at, at, at 100, now it's at 80, I've lost 20%, I'm gonna sell. Maybe you should buy more of that business based on what the business is. And this is where investing really comes through longer term not shorter term and, and and it's just something that you can't look at investing for a year or two so all right well let's go to the phones here phone number is 833-288-0973 again that's 833-288-0973 let's go up to oceanside and speak with tim tim you're on the smart vegetable brent chase how can we help you good morning gentlemen i listen to your show whenever i can and i love it well thank you Got a question. I got a comment and a question. My comment is on the streaming. Do you think the reason I started getting into streaming six to nine months ago was uh, the streaming companies was because I knew that professional sports was going to dive into it head over heels. Do you think that has anything to do with the percentages where they pass cable this month? And if professional sports stays in the streaming market, I think the numbers are going to continue to grow. I don't think cable will ever come back. 
That's a good point because you're right. Uh, sports are starting to get into streaming. Uh, and we also, too, like the right streaming companies going forward as well. But I think it's a combination of that. And I, I think sports coming on the streaming could be very beneficial. Well, and it is very interesting as well. I mean, the, the big one I'm watching is the NFL rights. And I, I still like the NFL. I mean, there was obviously all that controversy and stuff a few years ago. But I still love football. So I, I, I watch it. And it was the NFL Sunday ticket. And I remember years ago, the only way you could get Sunday ticket was you had to get the satellite. Oh, that's right. TV installed. <laughs> <laughs> but but now they have a package that again it's a streaming right. So my point being there is there there is different ways that it's evolving, yeah. and I I do think you're you're right there, Tim. It, it, that is going to be something interesting to watch. Is is one of the big players going to be able to scoop up Sunday ticket? And rumor has it right now it's going to be Apple. That they're the front runner there for for the NFL really? rights. I thought it was going to be Amazon. Yeah, and they're yeah. they're yeah. they're in the mix as well, and there's a couple Disney's in there, obviously with ESPN, but it, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, that is such such an expensive contract that like Apple's service right now takes four ninety nine. They would have to jack that up or offer a separate right. service because there's no way you can offset that. Well, doesn't Paramount that owns CBS? Don't they have some football in there? How do they? So do that? yeah, that, that's the hard thing is the NFL rights are so segmented, right. where like you get some day games, some night games. The 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 Sunday ticket is out of market games. Right. So the the CBS and the Fox are are in market games. Right particular time frame so the NFL has been able to segment it so many different ways uh, I don't know as much about the other sports leagues to be quite frank with you but I know that's how the NFL works but I I know personally that once the NFL is off direct TV yeah I, there's no reason for me to keep using them yeah yeah uh, well, you still have direct TV well, yeah I have direct TV stream actually yeah. but okay and another type of streaming service. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, 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 Tim. I mean, I, I think it is changing that direction, and there's no doubt. Like, streaming is the the wave of the future, and I think it's just going more. And one thing that I think is going to be difficult for them is the news side. Uh, so, is it? But, but streaming is just it's it's even I stream now. I'm an old guy. I still I start streaming. And I, I do wonder as well <laughs> is there there's now going to be so much competition is it going to be overbid where people yeah. and especially now we talk about how easy it is to switch streaming are they going to start using sports as lost leaders and they're not going to be able to sell enough advertising to offset the cost i mean yeah. it is something that that i wonder <clears throat> could go too far perhaps in terms of the bidding because I, I know that the cost of these sports leagues has skyrocketed i know like uh, paramount and there's another one they bid on the european soccer rights and uh, very curious to see how they, they utilize those with the streaming services. And there are some streaming services companies that are actually profitable that are actually making money. So that's where I'd want to be at, not the ones not making money. So, Right. And I think I think the ones that get into the sports it, and the news, it solves the, the problem for content. You'll always have content in live sports and live news. Right, which it does, and I guess the problem is Chase kind of brought up, is that what are they going to pay for that? It's going to be cost prohibitive or lost leader because those NFL games are, I think, like billion dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous what they get for that. So, yeah, And um, I think that Amazon paid like a billion dollars just for <laughs> Thursday night games. Yes, you know? that, that's what I said. I knew, I knew it was there somewhere. So, um, But, yeah, that, that's going to be the thing is how how's the bidding is going to go, what it's going to cost. Could it wipe out some of these smaller streaming companies i guess i don't know so but um does that make sense tim absolutely and then my quick question is so i started with my own children and and years ago with my grandchildren i start with a little lump sum and i 
put about 500 a month into an account, and they're conservative stocks. It's I-T-O-T-I-J-R-B-E-U, things like that. I should just ride that out, especially on the kids' stuff, because eventually history shows we'll correct ourselves eventually. Yeah, that is true, but you do want to – it sounds like you're in a, you're an ETF or a fund. I, I, I missed that. Is it a fund? Uh, some of them are funds and some of them are direct. Oh, direct equities. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you still got to watch the direct equities to make sure that, you, you know, you, you don't have a general electric to where I was a you know, star and all of a sudden a dog. Uh, so you want to keep on top of those businesses, make sure they're doing well. If it's a fund, you want to make sure that the manager is not, you know, uh, playing loose here and just kind of selling things and look at the turnover rate in the fund to see what that is. And also to be, be careful of other people redeeming their shares in that fund. Fund manager has to sell off positions that you don't want to sell off. Uh, we're not big on funds for that reason because you're paying a fee for that. But because you're pulled in, you get a pullback like uh, we'll say yesterday, not a big pullback, but, you know, and people start cashing in. Well, if the fund manager doesn't have a lot of cash, he's got to start selling positions on the downside, can't weather the storm. So we're, we're not big on mutual funds for that reason. All righty. Awesome, gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for your information. All right, Tim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. I was just thinking I probably should have told Tim while I was on the phone there, but he said, I love listening to your show when I get the chance. Is Tim, if you're still listening and our other listeners, it's not just live. We do record it, and it is podcast on our website. So, you know, if you you have some free time throughout the week or maybe on even on a Sunday afternoon, yep. you can just go to smartinvesting2000.com. Again, our website smartinvesting2000.com and go to, go to our podcast section. You can check all the old shows that, that we have there. It's right. I think it's on the Right in the page, uh, I think, on the top. Right on the front. Right, yeah, right, right in the front. The can't, can't miss it. Just click on that and you go to different places there. All right. Uh, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Lynn. Lynn, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Okay. I'm thinking of uh, buying Williams Company, which is an a energy company. And it, they're basically with uh, natural gas. Okay. Okay. And, and what did you see about Williams Company that you thought, yeah, this might be a good buy? What did you see that? Oh, a friend was telling me about it. Okay, good, good. Okay, well, let's take a look at uh, Williams Company, symbol is WMB. They are in the oil and gas midstream, as it's called. Not much on the uh, short side here, only 1.8%, 87.5% institutional owned. P.E. ratio, 27.4. That is more expensive than the industry at 22.4. Price of sales, 4 versus 1.2. Price to book value, 12. Now, the industry is at 51, so that's a positive there. Uh, price of cash flow is expensive, 10.3, also higher than the industry at 7.7. But you do have a good pig ratio of 3.3 versus 12.2, and you do want that pig ratio lower, so that's a positive there. Look at the earnings over the last year. They're up 34.7% when the industry was down 18.2, so that's good. Uh, they do pay a nice dividend, 4.9%, but even the industry is at 5.7, so it's nice to get eh, nearly a 5% dividend. However, it shows they use 129% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, that is over the last 12 months. That could change going forward as they see, hopefully, earnings increase here. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet a current ratio of 0.7 versus 0.9. That's a little bit uh, uh, concerning there, but what's more concerning is debt-to-equity is 2 
versus 1.4. So you've got a lower liquidity position for the company and higher debt. That is not a good combination. We do see a net profit margin of 14.6 versus 6.2. Return on equity a little bit on the low side, 13.9. I like to see that at least around a, a 15. Jace? Yeah, so looking at the company again here, uh, Williams Companies, the current price is $35.03. The 52-week uh, high, $37.97, and the low, $23.98. Year-to-date, uh, it's up 37.9%. Obviously, that that's really strong against the uh, S&P and broader market, which is down now 14.2%. But to be quite frank with you, I, I thought it was going to be higher. I guess yeah. natural gas has just skyrocketed. And it's a good sized company. I, I thought I hadn't heard of Williams Companies, but it's about a $42.7 billion market cap. Now, going forward to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.69. That would give us a target sell price of $28.05. So, unfortunately, the company still looks to be a little bit expensive. I, I think there might be other opportunities out there that uh, is going to be more enticing. I, I have seen right. some other natural gas plays that, that I think have better valuations. And, and Lynn, that, that's what I was thinking as well when you said that, your same tr- thought I was on, like, I'd like to find a natural gas company because they seem to be increasing more than oil has. Uh, I know there's mm-hmm. concern in Europe with natural gas. Uh, I, I just don't know what our government's going to do to mess up the natural gas situation. But this one, it says oil and gas midstream. So you're not getting a pure natural gas play here. As Chase said, I think I'd rather try to find a pure natural gas company. Uh, you can look at this company here, Williams uh, Companies. I would imagine that they have, we'll just call it 50-50 oil, 50% gas, maybe less or more, but you want to know that. But it's not even worth looking at because it's it's uh, by the target sell price. So, uh, and, and sometimes I will say I have seen where they're in that industry, but they, they do just the gas. So that is one thing you do want to understand is yeah. just because it says that's the category, there, there may just be you know 90% natural gas, but that's something you want to understand yeah. as an investor. And I mean, it is crazy. It just... I tried to find it real quick, but yeah, the Asian and European natural gas price, it looks like started the week at about $35 per million British thermal units, which is how you calculate it. That It's about eight, nine dollars right. in the United States. I mean, it, it's a huge spread there, which I think is really benefiting these companies. And I, I do worry a little bit that this natural gas crisis over the next few years will become resolved. And, and these natural gas companies, we've seen this before with like oil companies back in 2015. Is like, oh my gosh, these oil companies—they're right. gonna oil's <laughs> gonna go to $300 a barrel. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. You gotta be and then it that. falls off. I worry that the same thing is gonna happen with natural gas. That in Europe, right now it's at $35. Oh, maybe in three years from now it's gonna fall back down to maybe $10, and all of a sudden that profitability yeah. falls and off. In the back of my mind too is the war in Ukraine. You don't mm-hmm. see that on the news anymore. Uh, but if something were to change on that to where it was resolved, uh, I think you would see natural gas, gas drop a lot. So that's the other thing too you gotta remember is that things can change. And, and I used to, yeah, I used to see it like every day on the headlines or in the news, something about Ukraine and Russia. Uh, this past week, I don't think I saw anything on it. Yeah. So, so be careful of that. That's, a, that's one of those things that are out there. You gotta remember that that could change and all of a sudden your great analysis was destroyed because uh, Russia decided to come up with some type of agreement. So, all right, Lynn? Okay, that, that gives me a lot of information. I really appreciate it. Well, great. Thanks for calling. You have a have a good Saturday here. Okay, you too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And it is so hard because I, I remember back in 2015 looking at oil companies, and you would look at it in, in the valuations, and the, the forward PEs looked so attractive yep. because there was that 
analysis that oil prices were going to remain elevated and these companies were going to keep raking in these high profits. And all of a sudden, boom, oil yep. fell off the cliff. Those companies went from making money to losing money. And that forward PE, it, it was no longer material. So yeah. you couldn't even generate a target sell price. So that's one thing about commodity companies you have to be very, very careful of is that the numbers, the earnings, the sales can all look great, but it all hinges off that commodity price. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's what you gotta be, and you wanna buy something when nobody wanna buy it, because we, we bought our energy company when nobody really wanted it. Um, I think it's off our buy list now. I, I think it's in the whole category now. It's, it, yeah. it's still in the buy category, but the, the price is now above the buy price. Oh, buy price, there we go. So, but, um, all right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 0973. Let's uh, go talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. 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 Doing good on a nice Saturday morning. Yeah. And, and today we're talking about, and this is very good, how interest uh, affects pensions. So uh, interest rates affects pension. Why don't you explain what you're talking about there? So some pensions are based on interest rates. Not all, but some of them are. Um, a pension is what's called a defined benefit plan, as opposed to a defined, uh, as opposed to a defined contribution plan, like a 401k would be. So the defined benefit is the monthly income that you are supposed to get during retirement. So nine thousand dollars a month for life, or whatever it is. Um, so you're entitled to that income, regardless of how the market performs. Unlike with a 401k, where you can see the balances go up and down on the day-to-day basis. So some defined benefit plans have lump sum options, which means you can take a large payment up front instead of that monthly income, and then you take that lump sum and roll it into an IRA, and then it's just forms like that. Um, in many cases, <clears throat> the amount of that lump sum is gonna be based on interest rates. And when interest rates are low, the lump sum is going to be higher because it is assumed that a larger amount would be needed to generate a similar level of income as that defined benefit amount is. So what this means is a lot of people have been looking at their lump sum pension amounts in the last few years and they were quite large, meaning it would be more attractive to take that lump sum and then invest the proceeds versus taking the monthly income. But now we're starting to see interest rates go up and what that means is it's possible that one, the lump sum amounts could be going down, and two, it might be more attractive to take the monthly income. Now I say might be more attractive because in many cases it still does make sense to take that lump sum and keep control of the money, invest it how you want, withdraw what you want when you want, do Roth conversions, keep the money in your family. So you, there's a lot of benefits that come along with taking that lump sum. However, these increased interest rates are going to have an impact so if you're someone with a pension that's planning on retiring soon um, you're going to want to take another look at that pension and see if there's any changes in those amounts because it could change how um, you should efficiently transition into retirement and, and harrison this is something that people don't realize like, oh i'll just take the pension and they'll be fine uh, sometimes i don't think they realize they have other options yeah, I mean, and again, those options are constantly changing. It's not just interest rates, it's um, your age, how long you've uh, been working at the company. Some pensions are linked to the market and do better or worse with that. So, um, you know, just because 
uh, a year and a half ago you were planning on retiring, uh, now that could be totally different. That doesn't mean you can't retire. It just means that, as you said, there are different options, and now maybe one of those options is more attractive than what you were originally planning on. Right, and and this is all part of the financial planning side. You got to look at that and why retirement planning and financial planning is so important, so that you can make the right decisions and not like, oh, I retired. I shouldn't retire. I retired too early. <laughs> and the, the hard part I see too, or I know we talk about Harrison, is a lot of times people look at the, the pension, they're like, oh, great, and then they forget to think about their spouse. Yeah, and because there's so many different options, and I know we've talked to people in the past, they're like. I don't know. I have like five different options. I don't even know what they mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Single life, joint life, joint life with 50% survivor, period certain, period certain with uh, return of contributions. There's all kinds of different options in the actual monthly income amount. And then, you know, you have your lump sum amount. And again, usually I I favor the lump sum amount. And in many cases, it depends on that payout ratio um, of how much income you could get relative to that lump sum amount. But, you know, you have to remember a pension is essentially annuity. And when you retire and you make that switch to, okay, I'm going to get monthly income, well, you're essentially giving up all of that lump sum money. It might be $500,000, could be a million dollars, whatever it is. So you no longer own that. You own monthly income for whatever term you choose, kind of like Social Security. And then when when you die, there's nothing left. Yeah, and that, that'd be, and I'm sure this has happened. Somebody dies, you know, three, four years later, like, wow, they left a lot of money on the table there. Yeah, and they might leave a spouse or kids who then don't have any recourse in order to get any of that money back. Right. Well, that's why we do financial planning for people, so they understand all their options. So, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of Saturday, and we'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on Monday. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's our, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Uh, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website. You can send him a message as well. That you can get a free consultation with Harrison. Uh, website, again, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. All right. Phone number is here, 833 288 0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Bonita and speak with Greg. Greg, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Okay, Greg, good morning, guys. Um, well, I just like your take, if I can get it, um, on AFCG is the ticker. Alpha, Charlie or Alpha, Frank, Charlie, Gamma. Okay. I don't know what the AFC stands for. It's a <clears throat> um, REIT sector classified as a REIT. Uh, there was an article on Yahoo or somewhere about a month ago, and I added it to my watch list. I don't know if I should <coughs> leave it there. It's a little too young for me, but right. um, I just wondered what you thought. Okay, so I guess you don't hold it yet, kind of looking at buying it, correct? I would hate to miss it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll take a, a look at here. And I know Chase is going to have some time to kind of find out what type of REIT it is. I do see it's a REIT uh, called Specialty. Uh, not much float here, 1.4%. Not a lot of institutional ownership either, uh, 42%. Uh, you got a good PE ratio of 8.7 versus 35 
Price to sales, 5.3 versus 7.2. Price to book value, 1.1. The industry is not material, so that's a positive there. Price of cash flow also in line, 18.9 versus 20.1. So all that looks pretty good on the valuation sides. Now, we do see some crazy numbers here on the earnings per share over the past year, up 491%. Sales up 761%. Those numbers scare me as opposed to make me feel comfortable, but... Well, you got to look into a little bit deeper. We do see a nice dividend here as well, 12.6%. They use 97.6% of their earnings to pay out that dividend. Uh, we do see debt to equity looks very good, 0.3 versus 4.2 for the industry. Net profit margin, 59.2 versus 20.4. Again, sounds like a good number, but almost too high that it worries me. Chase, did you find anything on this company and give us some numbers going forward? Yeah, and I, I did find the AFC. It's Advanced Flower Capital is what AFC stands for. Oh. And what this company does is they actually originate, structure, underwrite, and manage senior secured loans and other types of loans for established cannabis industry operators uh, in states that have legal legalized medicinal and or adult use cannabis. So they're, they're in the cannabis space. I, I'm kind of surprised they're structured as a REIT since they do more of the financing rather than the owning of let's say grow sites or you know the the distribution center that they don't own land or or anything like that they, they do the financing so i'm a little surprised they're, they're more structured as a reit here rather than just a company right but looking at the uh business here i got all these different tabs pulled up because i was intrigued by the company <laughs> right, but yeah. current price here for afcg it's 17 dollars and 84 cents the 52 week high is 25 dollars and 50 cents and the low is $14.90. Year-to-date stock's down about 16.7%. It is a smaller company as the market cap is $354 million. When I look at the numbers going forward, I'm kind of surprised. There's four analysts that, that do have projections, which for a company that size is a, a decent amount. But I see here the estimated earnings per share is $2.74 for December 2023. And that's a, about a 20.7% growth rate off of 2022 numbers. And 2022 numbers have a growth rate of 49.5%. And using that $2.74, we get a target sell price of $45.48. So, I mean, the valuations are very strong on this company. I will say, you know, the, the cannabis space is still somewhat up in the air. Right. Where I do worry that there's going to be too much competition. I remember years ago, I haven't looked at the cannabis space because I feel like it's not as popular as it was right where there's a lot of competition there yeah too. but yeah. a few years ago when it was really hot we, we had people would ask us about it all the time so we, we did a lot of reading on it and i think it was in like oregon different places where they didn't have set licenses and it was kind of open I, I mean there's operators that were just hemorrhaging money because they're it was unprofitable right and i worry that if this company's making loans it says they they do it to established companies but i'd want to know who they're they're lending to because all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we, we get a great interest rate on that loan, but they go bankrupt, they can't yeah. pay back the loan. That's going to be an issue for this business. Yeah, and I think, Greg, it still comes down to, a, and I come like this, you, you got to understand more about the industry. As we talked about, it was like just way too much uh, supply coming on, too many people doing it. Uh, they couldn't make a profit, therefore they would go bankrupt, and, and AFC Gamma would actually be hurt by that because they no one can pay back their loan so you really got to understand a little bit more what they do and normally look at the ffo on the reads but i think since this doesn't hold property it's loans the ffo doesn't matter the earnings actually matter here yep yeah so um, i can yeah. see i can see why you're excited about it 
Uh, I'd like to target sell price, but I, I think it requires a lot of research. I'm not that excited about it because it's just and dividend yield. 12.6%. Yeah, yeah, everything you're saying that is a, uh, questionable about it, uh, I agree with, and that's why I'm not so sure. And I think it's uh, you know at, at first uh, uh, it's too good to be true, and then uh, you know cannabis. Yeah, I I dismissed all the cannabis stocks. Uh, I hold them in the same regard as Bitcoin, perhaps. Yeah, well, and, well, at least uh, they have sales. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, they, they had sales before it was even legal, but I uh, digress. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the thing that intrigued me was the niche it had found and that it's financing these companies. And I did as much as I digging as I could um, without, you know, paid... Uh, you know, reviewerships or something. And, and you know what I'd want to see in this, because again, I, I know that cannabis is not going away. It's, it's, it's here to stay and so forth. But what I'd want to see is a big clean out of the whole cannabis system to where a lot of companies went bankrupt, they're, they're out of the system, because eventually I think this will be a profitable area to be into. I don't know if we're there yet or not. If we're there or close to it, this company could do very well if the industry is not filled with a bunch of suppliers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Already? Right. Well, the thing that, that I was going to say that I found is that, you know, I don't know what all is involved in um, applying for or, or gaining REIT status, except, you know, it's a taxable uh, event that they uh, want or non-event, let's say. <clears throat> and um, so how did they do that? Well, I don't know, just like you were questioning. Yep. Um, but the one thing I found is that the uh, loans they make, the debt that they uh, acquire, is uh, they, they um, secure it with the uh, property rights. Interesting. You know, the yeah. land that the cannabis places are working. Which could be so, good, but, yeah, that, but that, that land, I believe, I've, seen, I've heard some outrageous numbers of what people are paying for that land. because of As well, yeah, yes. So, yeah. That, that could fall out just as fast. Yep. So, yeah, I appreciate your taking the time. I think I'll continue to watch it. It might be at some point worth putting a few bucks into it, but uh, it won't be a uh, full position, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and do some more research on the entire industry to see if it's starting to have that clean-out effect that I was talking about because that, to me, would be a big positive because I would like to someday, I think these are here to stay, is by a good cannabis company that's making profits, doing all the right things because... The demand is there, yeah. but just too much supply at this point in time, I believe. Already? Well, again, that's like this one because they cover the whole market. Yeah. You know, it's not just a single company. Right. But again, they're back yeah, on so, people paying the loans and they could, yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Well, that was, that's the big question. They default on the loans, you know, what happens. And so, yeah, it's uh, like it, it uh, what, after the article came out, it was up uh, like 12% in, in the last month. <clears throat> yeah. But it's. Yeah. It seems to have tapered off, and that's what I'm waiting to see. You know, these big, giant startup numbers that you see, you know, those have to taper off, too. Those can't be sustained yeah. for long term. But, you know, where does it level out, you know? And to, is, you know, $15, $16, you know? Uh, yeah. That's what, you got, that's what I got some more research to do. So I think you're wise to kind of watch it, do some research, and, and be patient there. All right, Greg? Yeah, yeah. Appreciate your uh, looking into it. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for listening and calling. You, you have a good Saturday. You the same. Bye-bye. 
All right. Uh, I we got is it two minutes left? Yeah, it's a mutual fund, so we might be able okay, to address it. Let's real quick. quickly go out to Mark in Huntington Beach. Mark, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Hey, uh, I love the show. Listen to you guys uh, whenever I can. Um, yeah, the fund. I know you're limited time. The uh, the fund is in my primarily my Roth, uh, mostly this fund, which is the Pro Fund Ultra Nasdaq 100. Um, it's a leverage fund. I think it's closed now. I've got quite a bit in there, and and uh, I know it's last eight years done well, but last 12 months have been hammered quite a bit. Uh, I think whenever it goes up 10%, I get 20%. When it goes down 10%, I lose 20%. So I'm a bit concerned uh, and want to know what uh, you think about it. Well, we don't have a lot of time. We've got about a minute here. Um, it's a leverage fund. Uh, I think you said it's a growth fund. I would definitely say stay away from that because you're leveraging growth, which we don't think is going to do well over the next uh, couple of years here because of rising interest rates. Um, I would look more for the quality. I know you also mentioned, <clears throat> mentioned about the Growth Fund of America, another company that has a lot of growth into it, growth companies. Yeah, and I just would be really careful on the, the NASDAQ. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we're going to have an exact repeat of the tech bust, but right. I think we could see something similar where, where growth really struggles after this huge run-up that we've seen it it's been somewhat reminiscent of of that kind of 1990s yeah. type bubble not to the same extent but I, I do worry that growth could have a collapse and i you know i think the nasdaq maybe goes down quite possibly 30 40 percent we've already seen 30 percent that means you're double leveraged on it that, that's going to cost you 80 percent at the end of the day yeah that could could be <clears throat> very very dangerous so i I don't like those leverage funds. I don't like the growth investing. As you know from listening to the show, we're value investors, so I, it's too risky for yeah. what we do. And I think you could be in a range right. for years to come <clears throat> where it goes up 20, 25%, yeah. then back down. And all of a sudden you look at it from 2025, like, gosh, I've made almost like no money here. As Jay said, too, the leverage on that fund, it's going to magnify those losses. Yes, I appreciate that. And I know uh, you got to go, but the Investment Company of America at the over at the American Funds, would be a, a better choice, right? Uh, they still have, and I, I looked at somebody I, for that that just came over, and they had, in my opinion, too much on the growth side. A lot, I think, like twenty five percent was like in five companies. I yeah, and it's yeah, Microsoft, Tesla, Amazon. They make up about fifteen percent of the portfolio. Those are all overpriced. Gonna be a little lenient here. I mean, Facebook, Netflix, Google—they're somewhat relatively okay priced tech companies right, now. Right. They're in there. United Health in there they're not bad but the, the tesla microsoft amazon making up 15 percent concerns me i think those are uh, still very very overpriced yeah exactly well thank you so much <clears throat> i know you got to go appreciate appreciate your help okay mark well thanks for listening and uh, you have a great saturday talk with you soon bye-bye all right uh i was gonna say that opens up the phone line but it is not open to the phone we can line take a call for yeah, 20 seconds for 20 seconds <laughs> we're gonna call in 20 seconds no we can't so but a, a great show today a lot of good, good companies a lot of people talk to and different things that hopefully you learn from different things on how to handle i was very happy to talk about the cannabis side because that's something that i think could be something out of the road i just don't think we're there yet yeah i think it's gonna take some time yeah well, there is the closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you want to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week right here with the Smart Investing Show.
so amusing to think 